Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My guest today is the co-founder and CEO of Miss Grass, a brand on a mission to help the world get good at weed. Inspired by her stint working at a dispensary in college, empowered by a decade-long career in the entertainment industry, where she worked alongside luminaries like Ben Silverman and led brand partnerships for Lauren Michaels, Broadway, Video. She's dedicated to rewriting, rewriting the pervasive and shameful narrative around the plant and building a community of conscious cannabis consumers. Kate Miller, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much and all the work you do in the space. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that we, I'll be working in this space for a lot longer. So <laughs> I'm going to keep helping. Look, where, where did you grow up? Let's talk a little bit about you. Let's talk a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? I'm a Jersey girl and I rep it proud. Um, not many of us do rep Jersey, so someone's got to. Uh, grew up, born and raised in New Jersey. Um, spent the majority of my life there until I moved out to Los Angeles to attend college, um, which personally was the first time I lived in a state that had a medical cannabis program. So I walked into a dispensary for the first time and kind of transformed my life. Um, starting were, you a, were you a cannabis dabbler before you moved to California? I have always been, I wouldn't call myself a dabbler. I would call myself a, a strong consumer. I've always loved cannabis. Um, you know, the first time I consumed was in high school. I have an older brother who's just a year. Come on, tell us about it. Tell us about the first time. <laughs> I, love to hear I love to hear those stories. So you were in high school, sitting by the bleachers. No, tell me what happened. Well, how did you first first consume cannabis? The, fir the first ever, ever time? Yes, first. If you can think back to it, the first ever, ever time. So I was, let's see, I guess I must have been a freshman in high school. My brother is a sophomore in the same high school. My brother later, his senior year, got arrested for cannabis distribution, possession, and manufacturing, but just tells you, you know, he's always had a, a very active relationship with cannabis. Um, so it was always around me, being very close in age to my brother. And we, my parents were out of town. We had friends over and I smoked a blunt, a, a Dutch, um, for the first time with my brother. And there were two other people with us. Wow. And, and that experience was like, what did you, did you overconsume or did you take just the right amount? What? Honestly, I don't remember feeling much my first time. I remember my second time. I think I went in with the, oh, I'm, I'm a pro at this and over consumed to the point where I was like, I do not like this. Oh, wow. Definitely didn't, didn't sit with me well. Um, you know, I, we, there were three of us, we patched past a full blunt and like smoked it, you know, to, to its entirety. And it was just too much for me at that time. But first time was good. Second time was bad. And third and the million times afterwards is, was excellent. Oh, there you go. Okay, so when you, you go to California, you're out there, and all of a sudden there's a there's basically legal cannabis. So you went and got your card, right? Went and got my medical card. Um, walked into a dispensary for the first time. I had options for the first time beyond just here's a sativa, here's an indica, here's a hybrid. Um, you know, they had lollipops and gummies and different strains, and you know, not to the extent of what it looks like now, but still compared to what I was used to, it was kid in the candy shop. I was blown away with it. 
And at the same time, that really planted the seed for me of, you know, I've always been entrepreneurial, always trying to find opportunities where I felt there were voids in the market. And at that moment, I felt, wow, like, look at this, you know, that a year before I saw my brother get arrested for the same plant. A year later, I'm in I'm in California at a medical con, con, uh, dispensary. Medical patients are are interacting with bud tenders and leveraging this plant for a whole host of medical reasons and seeing it transform people's lives. So I just became such a believer and felt I have to get into the industry. It's prohibition days now. I realize it's so much bigger than the potential of the alcohol industry. Um, but I landed up working as a medical bud tender my junior and senior year in a dispensary in downtown LA. Your junior and senior in college, and what was your were major? Business. Business, okay. So you know you get, you graduate now. You've got two years of experience working in a dispensary. Did you go to college because you thought that cannabis would be the business that you would go into, and then, or did you just say, hmm? No, I did not. One, I didn't go to college really knowing what I wanted to do after uh, school. Um, and when I when I ultimately worked as a bud tender, I thought maybe this is it. But at the same time, it plant, it it made me realize it was way too early to devote my career into the cannabis space. This is 2007, 2008. Um, so, but at that time, I bought the URL MissGrass.com and GoDaddy planted the seed that ultimately grew and launched a decade later but that's upon graduation when i had my career in the entertainment space so you graduated you went in the entertainment space and talk a little bit about that i mean was that uh, you know i've done the entertainment space but you know a lot of people don't know what that's like to jump in there and you jumped in in a big way i did well i um i worked for a producer named ben silverman out in los angeles he is the um, producer of ugly betty and the u.s version of the office um, he had just started a company called Electus at the time, which at that time was like the new media craze was blowing up and, um, you know, content on digital streaming platforms were becoming really, really exciting and new ways of funding content um, were, you know, starting to, uh, the industry was evolving. So I started as an assistant to the COO and the head of um, partnerships there and grew up uh got promoted up to like senior manager at Electus, um, always on the business side of the entertainment industry. So always focused on how do we monetize the brand IP, which brands that I were working on were television and film and digital properties. And that's a similar role that I had when I um, got recruited to work at Broadway Video. I moved to New York um, in a similar capacity, a brand partnerships role, monetizing the the franchises and entertainment IP that Lauren and his company owned, Saturday Night Live being one of them. Wow, wow. And so, I mean, but was there like just a constant calling in the back and saying, come to Canada, <laughs> Katie, we need to I mean, what was going on back there? Totally. Um, I mean, I should say yes and no. I, you know, had close to a 10 year career in the entertainment space. so. It wasn't that I wasn't feeling that itch until, you know, the last call it two or close to three years of that tenure. Um, I, as I mentioned, had purchased the URL a while ago and I am that person. I get high and have mad scientists, a million ideas that think are genius. And for some reason, when I was younger, felt 
whenever I had an idea, I would go and see if the, if a URL was available as if like you have the URL, you have a business. Um, so I had like 40 URLs at the time now have sunsetted most of them. And truly Miss Grass has only, has been the only one that has seen the light of day, but I had missgrass.com. I, at the time, um, did get it live, created a, a, a site on, um, Squarespace at the time and just were featuring different accessory brands and driving traffic to their website. And it was really, really silly. I didn't put too much energy into it, but it existed. And as cannabis became more integrated into the conversations that I was having or being a part of, I could point to, oh, I have this Miss Grass. There's such a void in the marketplace for a brand that really represents how we're consciously consuming this plant. And that led me to get introduced to so-and-so and get introduced to so-and-so and got an opportunity to do an event at Coachella um, in April of 2017. Weed Maps was sponsoring what they called a, or putting on an event called the Green Oasis. And they asked me to put on a Miss Grass geo at, geodesic dome to attract a more feminine who, consumer. Who was the headliner at that Coachella? Oh my God, I don't know. The event itself was right outside of, it wasn't in the festival grounds. It was right outside. Well, it was one I, of those big I'm, parties. I, don't, I wasn't at that Coachella. I think it was at that old Cella. That's 2017. Wasn't that the year of the old Cella? Where they had, oh, uh, I think actually you're right, where they had like Bruce Springsteen and a yeah, bunch of the- The Rolling Stones and you know, it, was, it was crazy. It was, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was out there for that. I, I would have seen you, but because I know Coachella and Olchella, there was a lot of cannabis being consumed. <laughs> That's true. Uh, there was. And this was, you know, it was a cool, I had gone to Coachella many years prior to that, having gone to college out in Los Angeles. So it was cool because it was the first time that I saw an event that was centered around cannabis put mm -hmm. on and attached to such a big festival like that. Sure, absolutely. So you got your first taste of the business by setting up this experience outside of Coachella. And that made you say, hmm, I could turn Miss Grass into what I want it to be. So what is the what's the mission of Miss Grass? To make cannabis accessible. So we launched in January of 2018, not with product initially, which is Thinks a unique approach in the space of, you know, being a brand in the space of not actually launching with product. We launched as an online community platform, um, all focused on making cannabis accessible through education, equipping consumers with resources they need to be conscious consumers in this space, know how to go into a dispensary, read a label, understand what are the right products for them to address their specific needs to understand, you know, who are the players behind these brands so that they can vote with their dollars, support an equitable space, um, and ultimately support advocacy and reform nation and even globally. Um, so we did that through an online magazine, through a lot of events and partnerships. And then about three years after we actually launched the brand, we launched our first product, Miss Grass Minis, which are mini packs of pre-roll joints. Well, you know, it's it's really interesting because you just said you 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 wanted to make sure you educated the masses and help support you know equity in the in the industry. But as you notice, I mean, take a look at yourself. I mean, here we are. This industry has been fledgling and up and running, really, twelve years. But then you move forward, not as a whole, really five years. But after five years, you're 
one of the mainstay females in this entire industry because you know as the industry expands we see a constriction on what we think is equity you know people think the equity is for those who have been wrongfully imprisoned before no equity is for anybody who's a minority and females are definitely a minority in this space why do you think that even with a successful brand like your own it's so hard for the industry to want to open its doors and say, let's get some more women in here. Yeah, I, I think about this a lot and honestly get asked this question a lot. And it's not like we weren't a part of the industry. When I first started getting into the space in 2017 full time, at that time, there were so many women in the space. And if anything, headlines when I would read press articles would say like this is could be the first multi-billion dollar industry with women at the helm. And then to your point, over time, that's not at all what the makeup of this industry looks like. And in a large part, it's because capital has been poured into the industry over the past several years. And with that comes the culture of the capital markets and who controls the dollars. And frankly, that's white males. I think the numbers right now, I, I, I last time I looked at it, I think women represent less than 5% of owners in this industry. So it's it's like, you know, you're right. Back, I can remember back in the day, you know, 2014, 15, 16, when there were conventions going all over the country, mm -hmm. seemed to be really unbelievable representation from women. But then I started noticing, you're right. I mean, it became the good old white boys network. And that's what it still is today, even yeah. though, so many companies talk about how they're trying to support equity. Blah, 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 blah. I think that's a lot of lip service bullshit, to be honest with you, you know, because the truth is as, as fast as these MSOs can get in to try to get rid of as many minority representatives in this industry, that's exactly what they're trying to do. Yeah, it, it's evolved a lot. And, you know, some states on the, you know, on the regulatory level are doing better than others. I don't think there's one state that you can point to as like a shining example of truly spoke about leading with equity and really is maybe outside of New York, which New York has its own issues right now. But, um, you know, to your point of 5% of women, yeah, it's state to state contingent. But yes, it's it's very, very few women and minority leaders in the space today. So now you have your own products. Are you only are you only in California? Where are you at? We sell currently in five markets: California, which was our first state, um, Nevada, Illinois, Massachusetts, and I brought it back home to Jersey. And then we'll launch New York soon. Gotcha. Okay, and you you actually have to set up a different relationship in each state, like everyone else. Totally doesn't make things easy, but yeah, we have yeah. to grow, manufacture, and distribute within each state, given it's federally illegal. Yep, and you know, just to give people an idea of what that really means, I mean, people don't understand. Like right now, I have products in Massachusetts and have been expanding. I'm about to have products in Georgia, but I have to have an entirely separate manufacturing vertical in Georgia to support anything that touches THC. The same thing that I'm doing in. You know, Mass, I'm about to probably move into Michigan and a couple of other states, but, you know, it, it is more daunting than people think. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, you hear in other CPG industries when brands, you know, whether they own their own manufacturing facility or work with a co-manufacturing partner, just 
the logistics and issues that are, you know, there's, it's all hands on deck of, of getting that right. And in our space, you have to do that in every single state. Every single state. People don't understand. I mean, you know, you have packaging in a state. Well, that same packaging that you have in one state, you may they may not allow you to use that packaging in another state. Or they may allow you to use the packaging, but you have to change the verbiage. And then once you change the verbiage, then you have to change the verbiage even more. And some, and then it has to be childproof. And who, which state determines what childproof is? I've, I've gotten products from multiple states. And, you know, uh, I, I sometimes I scream because, you know, we go through all kinds of hoops and masks to try to get it right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm about to go through all kinds of hoops in Georgia to try to get it right. But what's right for Georgia isn't right for Florida. No. What's right for Mass isn't right for New York and not for Maryland. And it's, it's, it's insane, right? They don't make it easy. That's for sure. I wish there was one organizing body that can just get all the states that opt in for recreational adult use or medical just to say, here's what the guidelines look like from a packaging perspective and a compliance perspective. And here's the regulatory language that you need on it. And just everyone agreed on one thing because to your point, it's, there's not a single state where it's the same. And that's going to be hard to do because you've got to get the states to agree. So you have to get their, you know, administrators who are writing the rules to agree, but then we have to get the cannabis industry to agree. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the biggest downfalls of this industry is that, you know, here we are really banging along strong at the six year mark, but we are, don't have a real national organization. No. You know, we're all still fighting each other, trying to get our little piece of fiefdom and forgotten. I can remember, you know, I started in this industry 23 years ago. And wow. you know, for, the first, for the first, yeah, I started in this industry back long before it was Vogue. You know, as a matter of fact, I was vilified for actually even coming forward. And being a national, you know, celebrity that was endorsing cannabis use, um, I ended up testifying or or advocating or, you know, speaking in probably 17 of the first 18 states that passed. But um, even back then, it's I thought that, you know, there were a couple of national organizations. You had normal always. You had MPP. You had DPA. But now that MPP is kind of. They're out there, but not doing the same work that they were doing 12, 13, 14 years ago. DPA not doing the same work that they were doing 14 years ago. There really isn't a national leader. And and this industry needs to have its own industry organization. If we don't get that, I think this is going to, you're going to find out that MSOs are going to drive us by the wayside. Yeah, I could not agree more. And, you know, the MSOs do hold hands and, and have... Um, you know, collaborate on pushing certain reform that is self-serving for them forward. So it's really, really important. They're not necessarily pushing for reform. They're pushing for things that cut them a break, which isn't supportive of the entire industry. That's what the problem is. We have everybody out here fighting for a fiefdom when if we just stop for a minute and recognize that a rising tide lifts all boats, and we, we came up with a trade organization that supported all rather than try to push out all, I think we make a difference. It's like right now, you know, I think the biggest issue, there's a couple issues that are big issues facing this industry. One, we're not doing a good enough job educating the masses at all. We're doing a great job educating ourselves B2B from business to business. Standpoint. 
we're not doing anything to educate the consumer who the ones are that we're trying to get in to buy product. One. Yeah. Two, we're not advocating the way we used to. I mean, advocate advocating at the, the, the national level, uh, people just think, oh, the Fed's going to change. They ain't changing their mind until you start scratching those scabs. And nobody's scratching the scabs in Washington, D.C. anymore. What do you think it's going to take to get more members of this industry to recognize that we are better together than as individuals? Yeah, I mean, to your point, sometimes I, I joke, but it's like I feel like we're all saying the same thing, but only to each other. So, you know, I do think to your point of not only just from an education perspective, but like from a advocacy perspective of like not sit, like being within, but going outside of our, our, our B2B bubble. Um, I'm a strong believer that like it starts from the bottom and will trickle the tr trickle up. So education, in my opinion, is one of the most pivotal things that our industry and that anyone participating in the industry needs to be responsible to educate and equip not only ourselves, but like the consumer. Um, we recently just launched a platform called School of Grass in partnership with banks, which is one of the larger largest um, hiring platforms in our space. I mean, it's all centered around, it's an education-led franchise focused on educating and equipping bud tenders who, as you know, interact with the, the, the highest number of consumers on a day-to-day -day basis um, and they differ from dispensary to dispensary to dispensary and state to state to state to state. I just had a conversation in a previous uh, podcast I was just doing talking about the fact that, you know, it's to me, I feel like it's almost criminal that somebody is in this industry and doesn't take the time to educate themselves about the product that they're trying to sell. Yeah, I, go to I mean, that should not. Yeah, that's why. Uh, yeah, but, but you would think that that's just obvious. But, you know, I think some dispensaries think, oh, if I tell them that there's THC, minor cannabinoids and terpenes and they know those words, that's enough. <laughs> so I'll stand and listen to somebody say, tell me a terpene is, is X, Y, Z. Well, that's not what a terpene is. Mm -hmm. So it just it blows my mind that we don't. And, and, you know, why? I think the part of the why is that. You know, a lot of people are, have gotten into this industry and no matter what the level is, yes, there's a lot of individual dispensaries and business owners in the space that aren't making millions, but they are making comfortable money. And once you start getting at least comfortable money coming through the door, you start the lapse in what you need to do to continue to make sure that more of that comfortable money keeps coming in the door. And what I mean by lapse is that, you know, you give your pun tender, you know, a tutorial in August, but don't update it in December. Right. Don't update right. it in March. Don't right. update it in June. Every month around the world, the rest of the world is educating themselves on the viability and the efficaciousness of cannabis. Spain, South America, Australia, all over the world. There's yeah. research being done. Israel, all over the world. And some of that just finds its way back here. And even though it's here and available, some of the dispensary owners don't even require I mean, if I if I, I don't own a dispensary, but if I did, one of my requirements would be weekly tutorials. Weekly, yeah. I, 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 you know, there are probably thirty. No, I think it's already thirty thousand. No, thirty six thousand P 
peer-reviewed published documents out there right now online that are accessible to any of us. And there's yeah. no reason why there's not a requirement that every butt tender read 10 a week, 20 a yeah. week, 30 a week. So that when a party walks in the door, you at least have right on the tip of your tongue the knowledge that you can share with the consumer that's going to go home and regurgitate that to their family members and then come back and try to buy the same product again. So it's only going to do good for the business. Totally. And there are, you know, there are companies that are trying to tackle that. There's a company called Seed Talent, which is again focused on bud tender education, that they have a number of courses. Brands themselves can put on their own course specific about their product, but it's an online free platform for bud tenders to use, go through interactive um, trainings and and learn and then actually take quizzes afterwards that we can incentivize. For instance, for us, if a, if a shop, if 90% of the bud tenders complete that, we'll sample out and give free weed to every single bud tender. So we incentivize them to be educated, to be equipped, not just from a, it's really important to, for consumers to understand what they're consuming and why. So, but that's going to be the thing that really does shift the industry, break down stigmas um, and really change the narrative here. So I could not agree more. I wish there was more going back to your, uh, your earlier point of a, of a national organization um, that is, you know, leading that charge so that everyone is getting a similar education and it's vetted. And it's, um, I think that is also needed on the education side. It's time. It is time. So, you know, go from, from your lips to God's ears. Let's just hope that more people pay attention. You know, tell me a little bit about what differentiates the type of branded products that you are creating. Yeah. So we have, um, I have them right here. So we have our Missgrass minis. Um, we have flower and pre-roll skews as well. Oh, my ugly nails that are like half painted. <laughs> <laughs> but these are packs of pre-rolled joints. They come in three SKUs. Are they dog walker size? Are the dog walker size or small ones? Yeah. Point fours. Got it. So normally there's five in here, but I clearly smoked three of them. But you can see. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yep. Um, so they're point fours, five point fours, two gram packs comes with a matchbox. For us, we're really focused on terpenes and we do a lot of education around terps as well. Um, so in certain states, we'll actually blend two strains together to get a consistent terp profile. Not all states, if we have a, you know, a, a strain that does have that terp that profile that we're looking for, for our fast times, which will be high in limonene and pinene and karyophyllene. So it elicits that, you know, super cerebral uplifting high that we look for and consumers look for when they're consuming our fast times. And we take a similar approach with our quiet times and all times. We are on this. You and I are on the same page. I've been creating products this way for the last seven years. So seven years ago, I launched a brand in California that was terpene, but also minor cannabinoid, major cannabinoid blends together in the same vape cart. So wow, I got about, you were ahead of the curve. Way back, way yeah. before anybody was even thinking about it, because what we really needed to understand is, like you said, and then most people understand is that, you know, it's the entourage effect. It's not just one particular cannabinoid. It's multiple cannabinoids. I'm getting ready to launch, you know, um, tinctures this way in uh, Georgia. So I'm in Massachusetts with vape carts, Georgia, because there's no, they don't allow smoking. No smoking mm. or vaping in Georgia. So very interesting. We have to create products that are tinctures, caplets, 
um, can't even eat, can't have gummies. So I don't know what differentiates putting a tincture in that's not eating. It is eating whether you like it or not, but, but it's state accepted. So we'll have tinctures, caplets. We may be able to do uh, topicals. We've created a dry pill um, and we're creating some brand new. I think it's going to force innovation in the delivery system um, uh, skew, but we're making newer and more skews that'll make it more palatable to the consumer when they come in the door. It's really exciting. It is. It's an exciting, exciting time. Um, you know, what if you had to put your crystal ball on, what do you think the next couple of years looks like? For Miss Grass or for the industry as a whole? Well, um, let's go, let's do both. Let's do one and then do the other. Miss Grass, I'm sure you're gonna try to develop more SKUs. Yeah, we'll come out with new SKUs already in development. We have flour and infused pre-rolls in um, some other markets that we'll be bringing out east soon. Um, but we're developing an edible as we speak. And then we'll be looking to, you know, increase our distribution to provide access to our community across the nation. So we're currently in five states. We'll look to unlock a few more. And then from an industry as a whole, such a good question. You know, I, when we started this in 2017, I was like, we're five years out from federal legalization. And I still say that, you know, so you know, I try now not to almost um, predict, I think for us all just doing our parts of, of making sure that we're steering this industry in the right direction. I, look, I will tell you something, girlfriend, I would love to, you know, a person like yourself and there are others that I've talked to, we need to start beating the drum of collaboration in our industry amongst each other because you're right. There's no longer time to predict federal uh, changes yeah. in legislation. It ain't going to happen. And it's not happening when people think it's going to happen. People think it's going to happen in the next two or three years. It's not happening. Yeah. It's like, and, and, and part of the reason why it's not happening is because we are not doing the same advocacy work for those who are making the decisions in D.C. that have already made the decisions. You know, we've got legislators, people. First off, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm speaking so fast. I'm getting ahead of myself. One. <laughs> We know that over the course of the next five years, just the same way as it's happening around the world, cannabis is being recognized more as a geriatric drug than a stoner drug. I go to dispensary visits all the time in Massachusetts. I'm shocked at the number of baby boomers that walk in the door. They're the ones with the disposable income. They're the ones who walk in the door. They don't buy just one pre-roll and walk out. I see the 18, 19, 20-year-olds come in and get two pre-rolls out the door. They may get an eighth out the door. I see the 68-year-old the walk in, buy $170 worth of product, $180 worth of product if they can. And they'll come back tomorrow and get another $180 if they can. Why? Because they recognize that this is now becoming part of their lifestyle. Some of them are looking for the biggest banging, hardcore THC product out there. They're looking for something that can get them through their day. They're not, they don't want to fall down. They're paying attention. And so... When you look at why has or why have we now why do we now have 38 states in the District of Columbia that have legal cannabis? I'm going to say it's because you look at the age of the legislators in those states; they are all baby boomers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They remember smoking a joint under the, under the bleachers back in 1975, 76, 77. Uh huh. And they're still successful because now they're congressmen. Yeah. Why don't we start catering to them? talking to them. The industry needs to be going in the door and giving them tutorials, making them more educated. I they could already, not agree more. They've already voted. Yes. So now let's keep them as a 
you know. Uh, uh, I could uh, not agree more. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, right now, I mean, you know, just because the state votes and turns on, every state is different. But like in New Jersey right now, the state, which I do commend them for the way that they are structuring their program, but they, uh, we've given so much power to the local municipality level to ultimately opt in to and create a structure within the local towns but there's no education at that level of like how they can opt in why they should opt in what's best practices and so, they're dragging their feet because they don't some of them are just throwing it up in the air because they don't have a boilerplate and you know they, the next month i'll call Susie over in such and such a county and and maybe i'll get their boiler that's what's going on and we yeah. lost you know i can remember Back from oh, 2001 to 2005, I was probably speaking before a legislature or before a committee or a subcommittee once a month, sometimes once every two weeks. Um, I was all over the country doing this. And it's not just me. And I know there are a lot of other people who may take a moment to go down to the city hall. But it's not the same anymore. People are not out there pressing the flesh advocating for what we know is a product that works, could impact our <laughs> national healthcare system in ways that they haven't even started or begun to accept will do. So you're right. I mean, I, I don't know how, you know, at some point in time, I'm going to reach back out to you and say, remember what we were talking about? We need to do this. Let's get it done today. You know, Let's do it. So that's your idea about what may happen in the next couple of years when it comes to the national level. But what's in store for Miss Grass in the next couple of years? So we'll, we're developing more products. So you'll see an expansion of our product line outside of just pre-rolls and flour, which we have now. So we're going to get into an edible, which I never give timelines in the cannabis space just because there's so many unknowns. But yeah. it will be out next year that we'll be bringing to market. And if people wanted to find out about you, where would they go? Is there a website? Give out your digits. Yep. MissGrass.com. M-I-S-S. Grass.com. We also have social at MissGrass on Instagram. And definitely, I would, I would recommend everyone signing up for our newsletter. That's a platform that is friendlier to cannabis. So we can let our hair down and say whatever we want on there. So encourage you all to sign up for our newsletter. We have many events all over the nation um, and we push them out there. And just to, another one, just so my listeners understand, which states are you in right now? What markets are you currently in? New Jersey, Illinois, Massachusetts, Nevada, and California. And in October, we'll launch New York. All right. And then so people can go into some of the dispensaries right there and say, yeah, Miss Grass, because that's what I want to get. And I you'll be there, right? So. I encourage everyone to do that. Even if the dispensary doesn't have us yet, just to encourage them to take us in. But you can check out on MissGrass.com. We have a stockist page, which lists all of the dispensaries that we are partnered in. All right. Well, you know, I tell you, as we start moving, getting closer to some of the states that you're in, maybe we can figure out some ways to do some synergistic things together. Because again, I believe the rising tide lifts all boats. It doesn't matter if we're talking, you know, the gospel, doesn't matter which brand people look for once we get done speaking. Okay. Absolutely. I would love that. That would be really fun to hold hands with you. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate it. I'd love to, love to try to try out some of your product too. Uh, you know, at some point in time, I'll have a little bit of mine with me. So, you know, we'll Absolutely. Be a <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, right. Thanks so much for all you do for the space. 
No, and thank you so much for what you're doing and what you're continuing to do. And I wish you so much luck. I want people to make sure they check out the site, MissGrass.com. You know it's there. And make sure you tune in for the next edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.